The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for The Everyday Guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. If you're 21 years old and use nicotine or tobacco, I'm here to tell you about Black Buffalo and how it's redefining tradition for millions of adult consumers. So if you're over 21, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. Warning. This product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults aged 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. This is Jobsolete, where we talk about jobs that you just don't see anymore. This week, we're looking at a time before the internet, before broadcast TV and radio, and even before motion pictures, a time when entertainment was all in-person, vaudeville. In this episode, stage fright. The American melting pot. Bad food. Smashing Victorian values. Harpo Marx. Getting hooked off stage. Nickelback. Yes, Nickelback. How Joe Kennedy killed vaudeville. Helen, I'm making the assumption... You already know a lot about vaudeville. Is that right to assume that? You are wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Dang it. That is an incorrect assumption. I know that there is a connection between vaudeville and stand-up comedy. I do know that in that vaudeville was probably the precursor of stand-up comedy. It was like the first version of stand-up comedy. That's really all I know. I don't really know. If I had to guess, like maybe there were... No, I actually know very little about what actually vaudeville was. Later in the show, we're going to learn that there's a reason probably you don't know a whole lot about vaudevillians. That's the name of the occupation, a performer who works in vaudeville. Do you have any idea in your head right now what they did... I imagine they, it wasn't exactly stand-up comedy. There was like singing maybe and some dancing and even like maybe ventriloquism. But I actually, I really don't know. I mean, a vaudeville was originally just this lighthearted, situational comedy, family-friendly. It usually had some kind of dramatic composition, but sometimes a little bit of light poetry that, but... I always think of just a variety show in general, because like you were saying, it wasn't just comedians, there was music, there would be dancing, sometimes animals, magicians, 
impersonators, acrobats, clowns, whoa, jugglers. That sounds like a circus. So there are, <laughs> it is related to the circus, but it's not the same thing. This sounds like what you could get in Vegas, like all the entertainment you could get in Vegas on the Vegas uh-huh. Strip, like all in one show. Yeah, except <laughs> even even broader, I would say. We're just talking about a series of separate, unrelated acts all randomly grouped together on a common bill. And that was the thing to do for a while, like on the weekends. Well, I mean, if this was in the 1800s, this was before movies, before TV. Like if the only thing to do on your time off was read a book or go see (laughs) literally anybody doing anything on a stage. Yeah, you're going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Step right up. Let's hop into the job late time machine and back to the 1800s, the heyday of the vaudeville show. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> We've got a guest expert on vaudeville. We've got Trav SD as our guest. He's an author, journalist, playwright, and stage performer. In fact, he is known as a leading figure in the new vaudeville movement and wrote a book about vaudeville called No Applause. Just throw money, which is pretty much, yeah. (laughs) You you can relate? (laughs) I can totally relate. (laughs) Okay, so here is Trav talking about how you could get into the vaudeville industry. Somebody might be a waiter or a waitress or they work in a shop or something while at night they go and sing in cafes or go to comedy clubs or whatever. Back then you couldn't really do that. You had to, it was all or nothing. (laughs) It's scary. So you would start out, generally you would start out at what was called small time or small time even. And you'd make whatever investment you had to make in your act. You might take classes, some, you had to rehearse someplace, whether it was in your, in your apartment or if you had to rent a dance studio and then you had to try and get a booking one way to get your foot in the door at the earliest stages was a lot of the theaters had amateur nights and if you won a contest at an amateur night you might get a proper booking the other thing they would do is make the rounds of the agents offices i'm talking about new york and chicago and the big cities the booking offices for these circuits were in the major cities otherwise you could also start out at your local theater in say peoria or syracuse or someplace you start out small at your local place because your neighbors and friends will come see you and then you try and get bookings farther and farther away and if you're lucky uh, somebody important either a booker for the circuits or an agent would see you and then you would get better bookings it was very meritocratic as well as democratic. This was an industry where if you were terrible, uh, you couldn't make a go of it, really. Wow. There are so many parallels to stand-up comedy today of what Mm -hmm. he was saying. You start out, like today as a stand-up comic, you would start out at open mics, local open mics near you, and then get better and better and then play bigger venues. And then hopefully someone, you know, of note sees you, you get passed at a major comedy club, you start working regularly. But the thing that he said about not being able to have a day job, that's terrifying because every stand-up comic I know had to keep their day job for years before they started making enough money to go full time. I knew that you'd be like shaking your head throughout this whole clip because (laughs) it's so similar. Now, the other part he said that kind of stands out is the fact that if you're terrible, I'm sorry, you're there's just no way this is going to 
work. You can't really uh, BS your way through this. You have to be good and command an audience's attention, entertain them. That is so true. And that's actually one of the things I've always said I love the most about stand-up comedy is it is very democratic and meritocratic in a lot of ways. I know stand-up comics who have advanced degrees from Harvard and Chris Rock dropped out of high school. (laughs) So it's got nothing to do with your education level. It's got nothing to do with like your background, like where you came from. A lot of times who like you just have to be funny. If you're funny, if you're really funny, you will rise to the top. Yeah, I think that was similar to the vaudevillians. We're going to look now at the type of people who often entered this industry. You know, the more you explore it, you find that there are all sorts of people. Most of them came from the working classes, obviously, because uh, as we say during the Victorian era, a lot there was just a lot of judgment about people who would choose this line of work. You had to be driven, in other words. A lot of people had financial ambition. They wanted to escape their class, so they worked really hard to do that, and show business seemed like a fast track for some folks. That said, there are exceptions, and there were some people who came from money who chose to ignore the disapproval of their families and go into vaudeville. You definitely had to be a hard worker. You couldn't be lazy, self-directed. It helps if you're an original person or if, you, or if you're able to take whatever the trend is and then put your own spin on it. That would help to get you to the highest levels. But there were certainly lots of people at the mediocre levels who would just follow the trend. Does that sound familiar oh to, to you? Oh my God, it was like word for word accurate to describe what stand-up comedy is like today. Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> it's exactly the same. Like a lot of people from the working classes see the entertainment industry. And this is the same for actors, I think, too. You see the show business as a way to, you know, elevate your financial status. But there, again, are still people who come from money who are like, no, this is just like a creative thing that I want to do. Yeah, and back in the 1880s, the opportunities were not in in Los Angeles, but New York City, your hometown, Mm -hmm. but also Chicago. That was another huge place where all the bookers were and the auditions were. But once they got the audition, once they got the job to start out, a lot of times it was a hierarchy. You had to work your way up, grind it out for years sometimes. And so we're now going to look at the skills. Once you were actually a vaudevillian, Helen, what would you predict would be the skills needed to be a a great vaudevillian? I guess the one unifying thing was you couldn't have stage fright. (laughs) You you had to be (laughs) able to stand in front of a crowd of people and not be terrified to death. And yeah, you just had showmanship in whatever version of showmanship you were trying to pursue. Definitely. I, I would add... The ability to think quickly and improvise, like adapt to your audience. Oh, 100%. Yeah, because if you're in front of a live audience, anything could happen. You could be getting heckled. You could, things happen in a live setting. I think this is a weird one because also I think the strength of a lot of these vaudevillians rooted in their diversity because you, you had a true melting pot of people coming together that typically would not be together, all like with the common goal of putting on a good show. So travel elaborate what I'm talking about here. It became what the shows were about, the content of the songs and material for the humor and the monologues and the dialogues of comedians. And 
Well, certainly it was an expression of the immigrant experience and especially because of the diversity of what you might encounter in a vaudeville bill. In other words, generally speaking, it would be some Irish, some Italians, some African-Americans. If you're not in the American South, you might have Native Americans and Jews from Eastern Europe. You'd, you'd get this wonderful salad of them in a vaudeville show, which is something I think we really miss and need right now. I love that. I love that it was ethnically diverse and culturally diverse. And that continues to this day in stand-up comedy anyway. There's so much like Black comedy and Asian comedy and Middle Eastern comedy, like because of being a stand-up comedian for so long in, in the two biggest cities for stand-up comedy in New York and LA, I have friends of so many different backgrounds and I love that. I think vaudeville's perfect example of that. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. ATT Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit slash hypergig for details. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. If you're 21 years old and use nicotine or tobacco, I'm here to tell you about Black Buffalo and how it's redefining tradition for millions of adult consumers. So if you're over 21, consume nicotine or tobacco, and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults aged 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. now going to look at the typical day of the vaudevillian and so far it's seemed somewhat glamorous but it really wasn't that glamorous for most of them the life for vaudevillians was arduous they spent most of their time really in travel in very uncomfortable travel on trains back in the days when the seats were wooden benches and lots of waiting around in train stations and staying in inexpensive boarding houses that might have bed bugs and awful food and lots of time in dressing rooms and somehow they managed to be very cheery and uh, <laughs> happy-faced entertainers for the american 
public, despite the arduousness of their ordeal. The bosses could control every aspect of your life, really, whether it's your salary and your living conditions. And they had all kinds of rules of things you couldn't do. If you took a radio booking, you might get fired from vaudeville because radio was competition. One thing that is probably self-explanatory, their schedule, of course, would be very different from the ordinary nine to five working person. So if you get off work at 10 or midnight or whatever it is, and then you're you have the adrenaline rush of having just performed. Normally, performers might go out afterwards and celebrate, as it were. <laughs> so it's not early to bed, early to rise in show business. Oh, this is so, <laughs> so... It's close it's, to home, doesn't it? It's, it's so close to home. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. Everything he said when I, in the early days of stand-up, when I was in New York City, Matt, I don't know if you know that the average New Yorker doesn't own a car. Um, yeah, I knew that, yeah. So I would take three trains and a bus out to Long Island or New Jersey or Connecticut to perform in the early days when I was a young stand-up comic. And then when I started going on the tour, on tour nationally, I was a very unknown name and green and just the bottom of the rung of touring comics. And I would have to take a bus like five, six hours, or I would have to take a train or I would have to take like the cheapest flight I could find and then stay in the nastiest hotels. <laughs> <laughs> and then I would only eat like comedy club food, like chicken wings and French fries and stuff like that. So all of that totally hits close to home. And also the late night hours that he was talking about. Absolutely. Like comics hours are late night hours because we work starting at 8 p.m. often. And so mm -hmm. you work starting at 8 p.m. You do two shows, an 8 and a 10. And then you get off work at midnight and you're like adrenalized because you've just been on stage and you don't want to go to sleep. So you hang out with each other till 3 o'clock in the morning. And yeah, all of that totally rings a bell. Like... I think the fact that they would be in front of the theaters hustling out there, like trying to get their name out there. Totally. That was a very common thing in New York City where I started stand up. It's called barking. It's like where you stand in Times Square with like little postcards or little like business cards with the name of the comedy club that you're performing at that night. And you're like, hey, hey, there's tons of tourists walking around. You go, hey, do you want to see some stand-up comedy? Hey, you want to see some stand-up comedy? And you, you know, give them one of these cards and they show up at the comedy club. And if you have your name, oftentimes your name will be on the card. And if the enough people show up with your name on the card, you'll get an extra bump in your pay or you'll get a little bit extra stage time. Okay. Yeah, that, that was a whole thing. Yeah, even to this day, I think. The vaudevillians then have the, I guess, the added advantage of social media. So you better hope that whoever you're hustling to in the streets remembers who you are and you can't just follow them on Twitter to keep up with, their, with what they're doing. A lot of the vaudevillians, of course, were constantly on the road. I think it's time to probably look at some more context here because do you know where the term vaudevillian comes from? I have no idea. The term vaudeville comes from the French expression voix de ville, which translates to voice of the city. But the interesting thing about vaudeville is it's, it's a mix of so many things that came before it. So it was influenced by the concert saloon, dime museums. Essentially, they were museums for the lower and middle class where it was cheaper to get in and it was like 
more grassroots type art, yeah. like just everyday stuff instead of this, oh, yeah, sophisticated art. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You wouldn't see any Leonardo da Vinci pieces. You'd see like Scott from down the street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Scott from Main Street has painted this collage. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, dime museums, freak shows, minstrel shows, which were very racist, but also burlesque. Because, well, okay, so burlesque, you probably know, was pretty provocative stuff back in the 1800s. Like, they they showed some skin. And so vaudeville was meant to be an alternative that was more family-friendly. So you could go see the naughty show, or you could come Mm -hmm. see the vaudeville show, which was less naughty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, in Victorian Britain, there was also music halls that came before vaudeville, which vaudeville borrowed from. So music halls, essentially, like you think of a music hall today, it's just like a place where there's a concert. Travis is now going to tell us how vaudeville actually became a much bigger thing in North America compared to Europe. America has a long puritanical attitude towards theater. But long about the mid-19th century, different things happened. One is we started to embrace immigrants as a workforce. Folks from Europe came, among other parts of the world, with different attitudes. So lots of dancers and comedians and so forth. But the initial culture that grew up, in New York anyway, and some other cities, happened in saloons. And uh, this is the Victorian era when middle-class mainstream life was restrictive beyond our wildest nightmares. (laughs) Lots of exciting developments were happening in this new show business that was happening in the mid-19th century, but largely in saloons, which were places with raucous drinking and gambling and prostitution and all sorts of déclassé things. And at the same time, fashions were being imported from France. And that's where the term vaudeville comes from. Several entrepreneurs realized that they could attract audiences of people who might not be willing to be seen in those saloons. In other words, middle-class men and women of all classes and children of all classes. Compared with burlesque, vaudeville was clean entertainment. Wow, that's so interesting. I didn't think about the kind of American societal context that this was coming out in, that it was Victorian, women wore corsets so tight that they were fainting. Everybody had to wear a hat and be completely covered up and very prim and proper. And then here come these Europeans who have a little bit more lax attitude about everything and they're telling slightly naughty jokes and showing a little bit more skin and just being a little bit looser. And Americans were like, ooh, we like it. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. 
And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. If you're 21 years old and use nicotine or tobacco, I'm here to tell you about Black Buffalo and how it's redefining tradition for millions of adult consumers. So if you're over 21, consume nicotine or tobacco, and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults aged 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. This was when you started to have steam and this is now railroads are, have matured into this big thing and communication is now connecting the world. So you have all these new jobs where people are get, given the opportunity to enter the middle class for the first time and actually earn an income where they can spend money on entertainment. That's a new thing. And, but they, at the same time, mom and dad, they don't want to take the kids to the saloon with them uh, or the burlesque, they find this kind of toned down alternative, which was vaudeville. I was just thinking that when you were saying that taking the kids to something, it's like going taking the kids to a matinee movie, but there were no movies. The movie technology hadn't come around yet. So this is like taking the kids to a matinee movie, but in person. They're trying to escape the reality of the time, which was a lot of hard jobs back then in general. That's another reason why I think vaudeville was this sort of escapism why it was more based on fantasy than reality. I love that vaudevillians face the same kind of thing that stand-up comics face now, which is you have to be funny or you're bombing. <laughs> what happened if you were bombing in vaudeville? Then you were forced off the stage. And there's an old trope that actually is, it has origins in something that actually used to happen, which was, and I, I remember seeing this in old Bugs Bunny cartoons, but where you, if you were doing bad, the audience is, is booing you, you get, there's a hook that comes out and forces you off stage. Do you remember? Oh yeah, that? like the cane, like a cane with a hook at the end, and it would grab your body and physically drag you off stage. Apparently, there was an African American tap dancer named Howard Sims. His nickname was Howard Sandman Sims, who actually did that, and that's how that all got started. <laughs> <laughs> he he would he'd be off stage, and he would just be like, if they if acts were failing you would get a hook or a broom or some other kind of prop and, and then force them off the stage oh that's so funny and that's so funny i that's so mortifying if you're the performer that happened to agreed so who were some famous vaudevillians well other than howard sandman sims i think maybe the most famous of all the vaudevillians this is just my opinion but were the marx brothers Altogether, they're all of vaudeville all at once. 
<laughs> because they amongst them they did all of the different kinds of vaudeville comedy and they were also musicians and that was another vaudeville thing you might have acts it's well known that harpo marx placed the harp and would just play straight music on the harp well you might have a vaudeville act that was just that just a harp player coming out and playing the harp but the marx brothers would have an act that combined all of those things uh, and when their brother gummo who movie fans don't know so well because he dropped out of the act before they made movies he could dance as well as dancers and they could sing and dance and do dialect comedy. So they're, they're another major act I would want younger people to know about, for sure. There were five brothers, at least, that were the regulars there for a while. Chico, Harpo, Groucho, Zeppo, and Gummo. And they really could do it all. They danced, they sang, they knew how to make a crowd laugh. And then later on, of course, became even bigger when they made motion pictures and into the, the 1930s and 1940s. I was first introduced to the Marx Brothers when I learned that Queen, the band Queen, actually had a couple albums that were named after movies that they did, A Night at the Opera and A Day at the Races. And so that was my introduction to them. But yeah, that you can still find clips of the Marx Brothers online. And I think they hold up fairly well, but this is clearly a different type of comedy. Yeah, I've seen clips of the Marx Brothers, and it's very old-timey, shticky, kind of big, broad silliness, which I think a lot of like modern comedy fans will might look their look down their nose on. But definitely mm -hmm. at the time, this is what the people wanted. This is what was making the people laugh. Very influential to future comedians too. Like even if their comedy was so different, they kind of like really just opened up so many doors for later genres of comedy i think mm. i'm assuming that maybe movies had something to do with the end of vaudeville or the decline of vaudeville yeah that was a big part of it the 1930s marks the beginning of the end and one big event of course that happens the great depression which not only caused vaudeville to decline but a lot of things to <laughs> decline and it was just, it made more sense for performers to try to make more money uh, in radio, which by the 1930s had become uh, much more lucrative. There was one thing that I was very surprised to hear about that Trav goes into here about why vaudeville actually, it maybe shouldn't have declined as quickly as it did, but there, were, there was a series of events led by one guy who you may have heard of among other things, the major stars of vaudeville could make a lot more money in movies and radio, and so they started to get priced out, which hurt vaudeville. And people wondered if live theater would continue to exist anymore, for real. But between 1929 and, say, the mid-30s, people probably wondered if theater would die entirely and there would just be movies and radio. And then one very major thing happened, and I think ultimately vaudeville might have continued to exist in some form, if not for this. John F. Kennedy's father, Joe Kennedy, owned a movie business. He acquired a controlling interest in the main vaudeville circuit that was still going in the early 30s. And he merged it with some of his other holdings and formed RKO, and RCA and basically converted the big time circuit, the standard bearer for the vaudeville industry 
into cinema chain for his movie circuit. I think more than anything, if there's one person to blame for the extinguishing of vaudeville, it might be him. We can blame Joe Kennedy, John F. Kennedy's dad. Joe Kennedy? That was a left turn I did not see coming. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. That's so random. They didn't think they could make as much money with vaudeville, and they focused more on converting all these theaters to just showing movies. And then we're seeing, like, Trav himself, as we introduced him at the beginning, he still does vaudeville. He's a a leading figure in the new vaudeville movements that exist out there. And even, I know, the town where I live in has about 100,000 people. We're like a medium-sized college town, basically. And there's local folks that put on small vaudeville shows before the pandemic. But yeah, so this, it, it is crazy how Joe Kennedy really. <laughs> the Joe, Joe Kennedy connection was definitely. Did see that coming. Did not see that one coming. It was so random. Helen, what would you say, like, as far as today, where do we see the legacy of the vaudevillian? I, the entire stand-up comedy industry, I would say, is a legacy of, of vaudeville, right? Because it was, that was the first time that you saw live performers joking on stage. And maybe not, maybe back then it wasn't necessarily stand-up comedy in its current form, but the fact that these were live performers on a stage trying to make an audience laugh in real time, that's absolutely the legacy of stand-up comedy or that's absolutely a legacy that it gave to stand-up comedy and any sort of variety act, I would say. there We still have variety acts now where you can go see a marionette show or you can see a banjo show or anything like that is probably a legacy of vaudeville. Yeah, like you're saying, so influential on comedy today, even if it does seem foreign, maybe it's harder for audiences today to connect it there are some musicians today that maybe would be vaudevillian and then any musical i think gives us a glimpse into vaudeville today in the movies yeah i will say wrapping up that as a professional stand-up comedian thank you vaudevillians for being the precursor to what is now my current occupation (laughs) (laughs) They, they they paved the way for sure Jobsolete is produced for iHeartRadio by Zealot Manufacturing Hand Forge Podcast for you. It's hosted by us, Helen Hong, that's me, and Matt B. That's me. The show was conceived and produced by Steve Zamarki, Anthony Savini, and Jason Elliott. Our editor is Tommy Nickel. Our researcher is Amelia Polka. Our production coordinator is Angie Jaimes. And theme music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. A special thanks to our iHeartRadio team, Katrina Norvell, Nikki Etor, Ali Cantor, Carrie Lieberman, Will Pearson, Connell Byrne, and Bob Pittman. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. 
tired of pickup truck bed chaos? Meet Decked, game-changing USA-made full bed-length drawers for tools and gear. Waterproof, dustproof, lockable, secure. Whether you're working, hunting, fishing, camping, or just getting out of town. And introducing Decked Deco cases. Tough, modular, problem-solving cases built for the truck, job site, campsite, or garage. Say goodbye to random bins and tie-downs. Order now at Decked.com slash iHeart for free shipping. Decked, your truck, your rules. Decked.com forward slash iHeart. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Are you looking to build this year? If so, there is no better time than right now to start planning and to get your spot on the construction schedule. If you need a garage, a stall barn, a storage for vehicles, RV, boat, collectibles, or even a a shop for your farm, hobbies, or car restoration projects, visit MortonBuildings.com and start your construction process. With superior materials, craftsmanship, best-in-class warranty, Morton Buildings are made to last for generations. At Morton, the difference is in the details. From their cutting-edge innovations to their craftsmen in the field, they are dedicated to surpassing expectations. Their legacy of excellence spans more than 120 years, and Morton Buildings is 100% employee-owned with more than a quarter million satisfied customers. That means they're the industry leader you can trust. When you choose Morton, you'll experience quality at every step of the building process, starting before the walls even go up. Visit mortonbuildings.com to get started today. 